Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the latest edition of the audible presented by trader joe's i'm bruce feldman joined as always by my colleague from the athletic Stuart mandel Stu, a very interesting day for maybe some reasons we did not see coming i would call it feel like some of the dregs of college football kind of jumped into the spotlight and captured our attention and the college football audience's attention and that is something that you know the more we we think about it offline the more you think about that's a very unique aspect of the college football where it's like nowhere else. I feel like in NFL or MLB or NBA, do you get riveted by like some team that's off the grid can have a, you know, a great day and all of a sudden shock somebody and you're like, wait a minute, that's, that steals our focus. Well, we intentionally, there's such a train wreck element in college football that you can't take your eyes away from. I mean, I spent a good chunk of the early window watching a four and five sec team, fool around with a four and five FCS team. I'm talking about the Samford Florida game where Samford scored 42 first half points. And then at night, um, how could you not be plugged to Kansas, Texas? Once Kansas went up by three touchdowns. Um, I want to start there uh, because it just, the result, even a more, the next morning blows my mind The Texas. Okay. They were on a big losing streak. They're not very good still. Kansas comes in one and eight. Kansas has not won on the road in the Big 12 since 2008. They build a big lead. Texas comes back. It goes to overtime. No way are they going to lose to Kansas in overtime, right? And Kansas goes for the win. The two-point conversion, the player who caught the two-point conversion is a walk-on who had never played in a game for Kansas. You can't make this stuff up. Um, I feel like... But, but, you know, in the past, there have been like, like Kansas lot beat Texas, uh, what, five or six years ago, and it was the end of Charlie Strong. This is a situation where Texas is four and six. They could not be having a worst first season under Sark, but he's your guy. Uh, not going to do another 20 million buyout, the, the, you know, two years in a row here. No, and I think, again, it is the first year of this. I think it has been very disappointing look and we saw some of this coming uh not the kansas part of it but some of it coming we you know i remember doing that story last year where i talked to a bunch of uh texas assistants and old texas assistants to evaluate the roster and there were some guys that were encouraged about but there was a lot of misfires in terms of guys who are rated as four and five star guys who definitely are not four and five star talents maybe they were got those rate ratings because they were signed by Texas. And that was a big brand. We you know how that sometimes works. Also, you know, it was last week, there was the Bo Davis video that got out. Um, where I don't understand why that was controversial. I really don't. I don't, you know, like in terms of the language, it didn't, there's nothing on there 
that again, look, look who's talking here. I, I know what I do on Sunday morning. <laughs> so maybe I'm the last, but again, I don't think there was either. You know, when you talk to people in football, they have more of a problem that it got out that somebody thought I'm going to post this. That kind of speaks to another aspect of the culture issues at Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they looked at that, especially it's like they were that aggrieved by it. Um, there's obviously big issues there. I know it's not going to get fixed overnight. I don't know. You know, my question to you before we kind of go further into the Kansas part of it and the just the, the spectacle of good for Kansas, good for Kansas, good for a player who was never on the radar of anybody. And then I find myself watching a video that his older brother posted on social media where the parents are like, oh, my God. That's that's like that's our son who caught the ball, you know. It's just like I'm like, why am I? I'm getting goosebumps at like nine, like eight a.m. on Sunday watching. Jared Jared Casey is the 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 hero for Kansas. Yeah, if you haven't seen the video, watch the video. It's really one of the cool things about sports. It's like not to. Get, it's kind of funny because there's an aspect of uh, our friend Andy Staples posted something of his much younger son Will, who's like I don't know, probably in eighth grade or seventh grade doing something and Andy who's way more social uh, way more uh, tech savvy than both of us produces this video there's like he's basically shooting the grass but there's nobody else because he's so excited and that's awesome and just like this was you know how the family got so you know caught up in the moment which like that's the other aspect because I think most of us tune in especially not just college football media but the, the people who are on social media tune in because man Texas is getting embarrassed the flip side of it is something really cool is happening for players and a program that has really kind of just been so kicked so many times. So to see him, them have that moment in, this, in the big stage, that's a really cool aspect of it. And I think, I don't know, I think that's a, a part to celebrate as much as people can, you know, kind of um, eulogize how bad these, these ones proud programs get. Remember the, um, you know, you look back now in that classic Red River game earlier this season where Caleb Williams led Oklahoma back. I mean, halftime of that game was pretty much the apex of Texas's season. But now, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, oh, neither of those teams were necessarily great. I realize I'm being a little harsh in Oklahoma. They just suffered their first loss. Uh, but certainly, you know, at, at that moment, Texas looked like they were on their way to having a really good season. And it has gone in the opposite direction. I want to point this out, and I, when I and in doing so, I'm this is not an I told you so because even I didn't really think of this until till this till this game happened last night. But so Texas pays all this money to 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 buy out Tom Herman. Between him and the assistants, I believe they spent twenty three million dollars in buyout money, and we knew that that was probably coming. It wasn't like uh, a complete shocker, but they did. You know, you look back, Texas finished in the top twenty last season. It wasn't like they were terrible. And, and so because of that, I don't know that, like, I didn't, I don't know that people, they kept, you were arguing they should have kept Tom Herman. I'm not arguing they should have kept him, but I do think this wasn't exactly a rebuilding situation, a total rebuild Sark was walking into. So you remember how this all went down. They had Sark lined up before they even announced Herman was, was fired. And it was like, oh, okay. There was no coaching search. There was no, um, you know, let's size up the candidates. It's, it's Okay. Sark is their coach now. Well, there wasn't, wasn't there exactly was, a great. There was a coaching search. It just was not a public one. Was not a, well. They sure. hired a search firm. There was technically there was a there was a coach. Well, when we know that they who they initially wanted, um, Urban Meyer, uh, Sark 
obviously was not a distinguished head coach at Washington or USC. It was just kind of meh. And so the whole reason to have faith in him, the whole reason you're handing the program over to him really is this idea that he went through the Nick Saban car wash and comes out of it a great coach to be determined. Meanwhile, Kansas has to make a coaching change in April because of the less miles situation. And I would argue ended up with a much more proven head coach in Lance Leipold, who won national championships in division three, who had great success at Buffalo. That's a rebuild. That, that's the rebuild of all rebuild situations. And you don't even get a spring practice to do it. And look, they, yeah, it's one and eight, but they took Oklahoma to the wire and now they beat Texas. Yeah. Now they're two and eight. Um, the other part of this that I was going to ask you is, okay, Sark is four and six. You were kind of, sounds like, underwhelmed by the hire, right? Um, mm-hmm. At this point, how do you think much less of his chances of actually getting Texas? Because now, all of a sudden, remember, when he was hired, nobody thought Texas was going into the SEC in that context. Right. I mean, so now use this in the context of they are getting their heads kicked in in the Big 12. What is going to happen if they do not get dramatically better when they go in the sec well as of now nobody believes it but as of now that's not happening until for another four years right they have another three seasons in the big 12 so this is going to require we're going to see if if the university of texas is capable of having patience because he's going to need time to build to recruit and build that roster up to where it can be competitive in the sec and the thing is, if they'd gone seven and five this year, but it was a fairly uneventful seven and five, I don't know that anybody's pushing panic. I think this loss is one of those, you know, you get you make a first impression and it's hard to dig out of it. That's what this loss was. That this is going to be hanging over him now, unless they have dramatic improvement in year two. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. Um, before we go back to the big 12, I do want to ask you since you brought it up. So we have talked a bunch about Florida and their issues. Uh, I had that long story a couple of weeks ago about how, why Florida is a disaster at this point. And since that story's come out, they've only looked that much worse. Um, yeah. They got embarrassed by South Carolina. Who, by the way, South Carolina just lost to Missouri. It's not like South Carolina is like, you know, playing great football. But then they were, I think, like a 35 and a half point favorite this week. And to give up 42 points to anybody in the first half is obscene to give it up against a team that isn't even 500 in FCS is mind blown. Um, and then, so I not to get into the details of the game. You watched a lot of the game. I watched more of it than I expected to as well. Um, a bunch of people took it, you know, like kind of were like, what the heck is, is Dan Mullen dancing in the locker room about Dan Mullen is on as about a hottest seat as you could probably get in the SEC right now. What did you think of him, not the players, but him dancing in the locker room after that? Yeah, I think I said to you last night, I don't, I'm not going to get on the players for celebrating their first win in a month. Uh, but yeah, it was really bizarre. The coach is dancing in the middle of the locker room for beating a four and five FCS team. This is what it's come to. It's just, it's such a, it's such a mess. Um, there was a moment in the first half where they, you know, when the defense couldn't get a stop. And now remember, they fired their DC last week, Todd Grantham. They promote the, the guy calling the play is Christian Robinson. I, I want to say is he's less 31. than 10. What's that? He's 31 years old. 31. 
Uh, Paul Pasqualoni is on that staff. Do you remember? You know this? Oh, I know this. He's 72. I know this too. <laughs> so that there was a moment where they're like, they've got the defense, they're huddled around, they're trying for Dan Mullins yelling at everybody. And there's Paul Pasqualoni in his, you know, they were doing the, the Veterans Day look that a lot of the, the staffs were doing. And he, it's, it's 72 year old Paul Pasqualoni in his camo shirt. I was like, this explains everything. Like, what a dysfunctional mess. This is who's trying to coach these guys up and, and, in an SEC team, um, I don't know what else there is to say. It's just been a complete implosion. You look back, and, and in September, Florida took Alabama to the last play and crushed a Tennessee team that's turned out to be pretty good. And to get from that to this has been pretty um, – it's, it's pretty hard to comprehend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's move past the train wrecks onto the teams that matter, frankly. Um, so Oklahoma suffers its first loss to Baylor, 27-14 to 14 in a game that Caleb Williams, the guy who Spencer Rattler got benched for, now he gets benched. I feel like it was nine games of Oklahoma being kind of underwhelming and having a bunch of flaws but finding ways to win. They finally played a team where you can't do that. Um, Baylor's Baylor's really good. Um, I, um, can I say what this reminded me a little bit of watching it? Mm-hmm. You remember like five or maybe six or seven years ago after Florida State won the national title, they had that year where they were like oh, yeah. skating by and bumping into bumping into nightstands and still managing to, you know, stubbing their toe, but still managing to win. The committee didn't take them that seriously, right? It was like weird because at that point, but that was the first time I noticed where, hey, they're undefeated. Yeah, but they're not getting the respect undefeated teams normally get from, from pollsters. Well, it was the first year of the playoff, and it was really shocking to everybody that the defending national champion was undefeated. And at one point, I think in the second last poll, fell to number four. Right. The committee, so- people were beside themselves, but the committee was right. They weren't. At, they weren't as good, nearly as good as the team the year before. Yeah, so this is, um, this is number, you know, they're number eight. And you watch them, and look, the aforementioned Kansas Jayhawks gave them all they could handle. Tulane, who's had a really bad year, gave them all they could handle. There's a bunch of teams that have kind of gone toe-to-toe with them. Texas, who stinks. You know, Texas gave, you know, was up on them big. Um, one thing I noticed and it was, and, you know, we talked about this a lot in our, on our uh, studio show yesterday, was Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts, the defense coordinator, had a lot of answers to the test already before Caleb Williams. It was interesting because OU had the week off the bye week and OU, cause I know talking to one of their assistants uh, Saturday morning, there was a bunch of stuff they were expecting 
And I think Baylor still had Caleb Williams rattled and there was a lot of stuff you could see. It was like, wait a minute, why is that guy there? You know, kind of thing. And I think that gave him a problem. I also thought there, you know, when I did that uh, story about the senior bowl and their recruiting and their draft process, there was a bunch of Baylor guys they talked about, including Abram Smith and those guys played really well. And I think, you know, to me, I don't know which you read. And is it more Oklahoma is a fringe top 10 team at best pump the brakes on Caleb Williams being first pick of the draft guy, or is it more, wow, I know Baylor lost the week before, but we should be talking more about Baylor. Yeah. I mean, I think Baylor's pretty good. Uh, I think, you know, there were Oklahoma fans that felt disrespected that they were only number eight at nine and zero, And I get that. I think by the time we get through the next two weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma finishes third in their own conference because, okay, you just lost to Baylor. And then let's talk, let's talk about the other team in the state of Oklahoma. Talk about getting, you know, the Ronnie Dangerfield, no respect. Oklahoma state has, I feel like barely been mentioned this season. Mm-hmm. They are number 10 in the, in the last committee ranking. They themselves are uh, only had, they're nine and one. Their only loss was uh, a really uh, close loss to Iowa state. At who, Iowa state. Yeah. I mean, say what you will, they've been disappointing, but I don't think there's any shame in that. They've already beaten Baylor. Uh, they beat Boise State out of conference. So TCU beat Baylor the week before. Granted, that seemed to come out of nowhere. Oklahoma State beats them last night in the Tim Brando special, 63-17. to 17. They outgained them 682-273. to 273. In Oklahoma State, a program that for years and years was, you know, great quarterbacks, great receivers, uh, Chuba Hubbard, but absolutely no defense, has just completely reversed itself. They have the number seven defense in the country, one spot above Alabama. So they, you know, they they play to at Texas Tech next week. Good for Texas Tech getting the six wins yesterday. And you saw how they did it, by the way. So who who makes a sixty-two yard field goal from the other side of the double T logo? A sixty-two yard field goal, walk off field goal in a college football game. I've never heard of that. I mean, I know people have made sixty-two yard field goals, but to win the game. On the last play, college Come kicker, on. college kicker. There's not college Justin kicker. Tucker going out there. So, and then it's Bedlam. And look, Mike Gundy's record in Bedlam is awful. He's been the coach there since 2005, and I think they've won twice. But there is no doubt in my mind, Oklahoma State is the better team than Oklahoma this year. So, what do you think if they can pull it off and win the Big 12 and be 12 and one? Are well, they going to play? Have, wouldn't they have to? They may have to win twice against them, though. Unless Baylor's that team that goes in. Yeah. If they beat possible, Oklahoma. Because then Oklahoma would be two losses. Baylor would be two losses, yeah. assuming Baylor wins out. And then maybe you won't have to invoke. By the way, do you buy Dave Aranda's explanation for the tack on field goal at the end that it was that he had the Big 12 tiebreaker in mind? Why else would he have done it then? Just to rub it in Lincoln Riley's face? I don't think that. Honestly, like... I can't say I know Dave Aranda that you know much better than anybody else. And that does not seem like Dave Aranda to me that he's rubbing it in anybody's face. And it does seem like Dave Aranda, who's a really smart guy, to have memorized part, yes, you know, section three, does. part C of the Big 12 tiebreaker. Look, it's and honestly, it's not that hard. You know, it's it's not like the NCAA rule book minutia to know that. If you are the coach of a team in a big in a conference like that, I would think you would know that. The question is, would you go, you know, it was like the way it played out. 
I mean, obviously seeing Lincoln Riley's comments after, like, you know, I don't know. Dave Miranda's name is going to get really hot in coaching circles now, especially the one out here in Los Angeles at USC. Um, Dave Miranda is a Southern California native. His brother is still a local basketball coach here. So I don't know if Dave Miranda is long for the for Baylor. I hope, you know, for Baylor's sake that he is, because I think it's really cool that they got Matt Rule got it going and kickstarted it, then they were down and now Dave's kickstarted it again. So it'd be tough, you know, if, if he doesn't stay there. But if he does, um, the Baylor Oklahoma rivalry is going to be pretty interesting because you got a defensive guy. And, and it's weird because like neither guy is like really a polarizing figure. But what happened yesterday happened. And, and you could see Lincoln Riley basically said, I wouldn't have done that. But it is what it is. And so I feel bad that we talk about the Big 12, which is a power five conference in which the playoff people have kind of cemented their status as they talk about their various proposals. They will remain a power five conference. And yet we're talking about them as like a springboard conference. Right. We've been trying to get Matt Campbell another job for three years. Now we're talking about Dave, you know, Matt Rule jumped ship pretty quick. And now we're talking about maybe Dave Miranda doing as well. Um, I don't know. But I mean, you've got. LSU and USC, you know, we're, we're a couple of weeks away from finally finding out who they want. And I would say the hottest names are all guys who are only in their second year at their school, Mel Tucker, Dave Aranda, and of course, Lane Kiffin. Um, that was a big win for him against A&M last night. Uh, very unusual to see the head coach sitting on the game day set as the guest picker uh, minutes before kickoff of the other games picking the results of games in his own conference. He picked Tennessee to beat Georgia. Um, that hire has worked exactly the way. I remember when they hired him, there were a lot of, uh-oh, you know, does Ole Miss know what they're getting into? Um, he has just gotten them a tremendous amount of publicity because of his mastery of social media and willingness to do things like he did yesterday. But also, they got a really good team that could go to, I mean, if they went out, they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and what was interesting about, the way they beat AM is they did it with defense. Two huge interceptions, including a pick six to put that game away down the stretch. Do you think, I mean, the one I'm thinking of mainly is LSU. That he just seems like exactly the big splash hire we're talking about in terms of what's I mean, I know Scott Woodward's still gonna try to get Jimbo probably, but if he can't get Jimbo, would he get the guy who just beat Jimbo? I think the part that they would probably be skittish on is lane's history or past and we can talk about social media i think there's definitely you'd have to have some concern of there's a high risk high reward component of it with lane i mean that's the elephant in the room with him right and so i don't know if you know if it blows up on you that's totally on you right so i don't know I mean, I know some some administrators I've talked to said there's no way I would hire him. Um, and then there's others. We'll see. Well, we may have jumped a step ahead to the to the coaching search stuff when uh, I think it's going to be. I remember when the two Mississippi schools hired Lane and, and Mike Leach. It was like, wow, Lane against Leach in the Egg Bowl. That's going to be great. Last year was a little muted because uh, of COVID. Mike Leach has been a pleasant surprise to me here in year two at Mississippi state. They're now six and four and they came back from a 28 to three deficit to run away from Auburn, uh, an Auburn team that I think their fans are feeling like they've been having a pretty good season 
under Brian Harson. Now they're looking at probably seven and five. Yeah, Mike Leach has three top. I don't know where NC State is right now, by the way. But so they beat NC State by two touchdowns. They won at A and M. Uh, they beat Kentucky by two touchdowns. They won at Auburn by, you know, like at that comeback. No, I did not see this coming either. And I feel like I know probably Leach better than anybody in the media. Um, you know, it, it's. Well, it's all about the quarterbacks with him and Will Rogers at some point early in the season, I feel like it kind of clicked and he's on fire. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, look, it's not, you know, they had that really, they really got screwed as much as anybody by bad officiating when they lost to Memphis. Remember on the play where there's like eight different guys wearing the same jersey number or yeah. whatever. But like they have Tennessee State uh, next week and then they they host Ole Miss in what will be one of the better Egg Bowls. In yeah, it's it's interesting. I did not see that coming. I mean, like both so both Mississippi schools beat Texas A and M. Crazier in the SEC West. Well, with each passing week, and it's apparent to me that that what that unbelievable night Zach Calzada had against Alabama was a complete aberration. It's not like he then built on that or that offense in general built on that. They're still really struggling and. By the way, this is part of why this fascination, fascination with Jimbo continues to puzzle me. Um, he's, he won a national championship eight years ago. You, you're telling me Scott Woodward, I know he's, that's his buddy, but like that he is such the obvious home run coach that you'd be willing to spend 10, $11 million a year to hire him when, $12 million a year. you know, he's, uh, you know, he's got three SEC losses this year. They're not, they've had one really good year and then they've been just kind of okay. Uh, in their in his other uh, seasons at AM. By the way, Will Rogers, who I just mentioned against Auburn, was 44 of 55 for 415 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, that's after uh, that Kentucky game a couple weeks ago where he set the SEC record for completion percentage of 30 or more attempts, 36 of 39, 92.3%. So Leach is doing the Leach thing, uh, you know, which includes, by the way, you never know exactly what you're going to get from one week to the next with them. So we'll see which version shows up in that Egg Bowl. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, so I, we're talking Auburn for a second. This dawned on me, so this is another thing that came out of one of our discussions on the show yesterday, was 
Could a two-loss Alabama, if they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, be one of the four teams in the playoff? We've never had a two-loss team. Then again, we've never had a two-loss. We've never had a group of five team either. And yes, I think Alabama. You know, they're not the normal uh, two-loss team if they are that because it's Alabama and it's Nick Saban's coach team. But the thing that jumped out at me yesterday, at some point yesterday, when Mississippi State came roaring back, is if Alabama's to win, they're going to play an Arkansas team. You're not going to get much of a bump off that. But then they would beat Auburn on the road. Auburn would then be a five-loss team, which means that win carries should carry no weight. So basically, Alabama's whole resume in terms of wins would basically be beating Ole Miss at home. Because beyond that, you have some really ugly, close wins at Florida, we know Florida is god-awful. Against Ole Miss, I'm sorry, against LSU at home, where they manage six yards of offense. You know, so I'm going to ask you this. I'm probably jumping way ahead of ourselves. If Alabama loses to, to Georgia, it's close, but they still lose. They're a two-loss team with one really significant win. One, nothing else beyond that. Um, would you think... Like no matter what, it's like that's just not enough of a resume to really be considered. It's 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 really hard to say. I mean, first of all, you know the committee. Like as of this past week, but you see where I'm going, right? No, I see where you're going. As of this past, I mean, basically the SEC West teams are all knocking each other off. As of this past week, A and M was 11th, Ole Miss was 15th, Auburn was 17th, Arkansas was 25th. You watch to, you know, on Tuesday. Uh, you know, Auburn will move down, A and M will move down, and. And uh, Arkansas Stanford will move will up. Be number 24. Yeah, <laughs> so. Arkansas will move up and Mississippi State will come back in. Like they're going to, those SEC West team, they may, you can shuffle them around, but at the end of the day, I bet you two or three of them finish. I know, the I'm saying if, if they would, it would be a five loss Auburn team. Because if you had told me, Ole Miss is a very good win. You know, it's not, it's not a great win, but it's a, it's a very good win. It was convincing. But I think to hang your hat on that when you're a two loss team, it's like it's not like they're a, they would be a two loss team and they also have like you know beaten a playoff team or beaten somebody you know like and again this hasn't happened they may they may well beat Georgia but I don't know it's like I started rolling that around in my head more and I was like man their resume is going to really be lacking especially when you consider how much they struggled against really mediocre teams I'm a little torn on Alabama because um do, it's like what do I think or what they I think the committee has given us no indication that they would give Cincinnati the benefit of the doubt in that argument. That being said, they are treating Alabama like Alabama of old. And I, I don't know how you could watch them against Florida, them against A&M, even them against LSU. Uh, LSU and say that this is a vintage Alabama team. Now compared to the field this year, maybe they are the second best team. I mean, Ohio state, I think is becoming that team, but I don't know if they're going to be Michigan state this week or not. Um, it maybe they are the second best team, but they're not. For example, people who are, who are just assuming they're going to get the sec title game and beat Georgia. Cause that's what they always do. Watch Georgia and then watch Alabama and tell me like, where does Alabama have an edge in that matchup? I guess Bryce young is clearly a, considered a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. But I think I do think uh, until Pickens gets back, I do think they have better receivers. But um, even there, it's not like la it's not like their super duper uh, receiving core of the past few years. 
Like, no, where would they be if Jamison Williams hadn't transferred there? Um, they're run, they can't run the ball very well. Their offensive line's not very good, and they're going to go up against you know the most talented defensive front in college football. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe there's still going to be a believe it when I see it. Your scenario basically is, is entirely contingent on them losing a very close game to Georgia, and I don't think it's out of the realm possibility Georgia just kicks their butt. Hmm. Interesting. You know, one of the teams that they're ahead of is Oregon, and there's a weird thing going on with Oregon. Now, they are – I do feel a pretty confident at this point that if Oregon wins out, they're going to go. I don't think they're going to get – they would not – I don't see a scenario where they would not be one of the four teams. Um I don't know if they will win out, but there's this weird thing going on where they're nothing they do is ever good enough. I don't know if it's because they play late at night, but you know, they, they beat Washington state 38, 24, the last touchdown that Washington state tacked on made it look a little bit better than it was. Um, they're playing well, you know, since that stand, was, you know, the Stanford loss looks worse every week. I get it, but they're, they're playing really well. They're running the ball. They're playing lights out defense. Um, that, that, I don't know. I don't get all the complaining about Oregon. Look, I think some of it has to do with their, it, it's a little bit feels like they're Cincinnati in a league where no matter who you beat, nobody thinks they're very good. So if you struggle with them, or if you're not blowing them out at all times, people are going to be underwhelmed. I think that's what's happening. Right. And I think people also look and say, you know, Anthony Brown Jr. played really well at Ohio State, but then people said, you know what, that's a terrible Ohio State defense. See, they demoted the defensive coordinator, and that's kind of where it's at. And then you have C.J. Verdell, who's the best running back probably on the West Coast. C.J. Verdell gets hurt. And so all of a sudden, I think people look at that, and they just think – I mean, it's a, it feels like a very different team from the one that beat the Buckeyes because, yes, they did not have Kayvon Thibodeau, who is – the best edge rusher probably in college football, but the offense just hasn't seemed the same. I'm not saying it's not look, maybe they're going to whip Utah um, twice and maybe that'll change a few people's minds, but I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they have it in them to change people's minds. Just because I think people have kind of written off the pack 12. So well, they don't really have to change people's minds. If they went out, the question is, and you just brought it up. They play at Utah this week. Utah um, got a closer call than expected from Arizona, but improved to seven and three. They are ranked. They're going to play them at Utah next week, and then they're probably going to play them again in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, it's a tough matchup. Do you think Oregon can beat them twice? Can they? Yes. I don't think they will. I mean, my analogy last night was – Kyle Whittingham's team with Devin Lloyd on the defense and a bunch of good backs. It's almost like the, the Spider-Man meme you see a lot of. That's basically Oregon. Prides itself in being the most physical team in the Pac-12, and so does Utah. I don't know if you can beat them twice. I don't feel like they're margin for error right now with how Anthony Brown Jr. is playing is big enough. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat them twice. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't have a lot of faith in it to happen, um, but I also have seared in my memory because I was there the Pac-12 title game two years ago that Utah went into. If they win, they're probably going into the playoff. They had a really good team that year and Oregon blew them off the field. It was it was one of those like, 
oh, right. Oregon has Justin Herbert and CJ Verdell and all these great, like, you know, they're just more talented than them. And they're more talented than, I mean, they're the most talented team in the conference. They just, they don't always play like that, but they are the most talented team in the conference. So, um, you know, that, that'll be, there's a lot of good games this week. I mean, you fast forward to next week, you've got that, but you've also got, and by the way, I'm actually going to this, um, Michigan state, Ohio state. Uh, uh, it's not quite winner takes all because of the Michigan factor, but, um, man, you're going to have all those great Ohio state offensive players. You're going to have Kenneth Walker, uh, Michigan state rebounded well against Maryland and then Ohio state 59, 17 over Purdue. Uh, it was, you know, this is the same Purdue team that has beaten two top other top five teams. And it was like, it was like Ohio state was practicing against air. Uh, the, they were so good on offense. Yeah, it didn't look like honestly Purdue had enough left in the tank after right the, uh, after where they got to. Um, Their quarterbacks yeah. though ended up throwing for a lot of yards, so there were there was you know if you're Michigan State you can look at that and as maybe a little bit of a glimmer of hope, but also I don't know I think once a team's up forty five to seventeen the defense isn't necessarily going to play with keep the intensity going. Yeah. Okay. By the way, Michigan, we you know I've given. Harbaugh a lot of crap over the years on this podcast. We know that he's, he is officially, you know, this is going to end up being a really great season for them, whether or not they beat Ohio state. Um, That was a big win at Penn state, especially after Penn state came back to tie it. Uh, And they, and they, they turn around and get that big touchdown to the tight end. Um, You know, that stat that's been haunting Harbaugh for years, which is now that he's two and 13 against the top 10. James Franklin's now two and 12 against the top 10. It's like, uh, I'm not sure how, you know, at this point in time with Penn State now four losses this year that you could necessarily say one's much had much better. I mean, Franklin has the Big Ten title and he actually has a win over Ohio State, so he can hold that over Harbaugh. But for the most part, I don't know that one's tenure has been definitely better than the others. No, I think they, you know, look, they both took over situations that were probably less than ideal. Um, I, th- I think quite honestly, one has the Ohio State issue, one doesn't. It, to me, it's, as, it's, you know, kind of as simple as that at this point, right? Um, but even there, Penn State's now six, five, six years removed from that one time beating Ohio State. No, I'm saying it to me, like, the, it's it, to me, it's more the Jim Harbaugh issue. Remember, this was a guy who was you know, pre-Dabo getting it rolling at Clemson, the consensus number three best coach in college football behind, at the time, Saban and Urban Meyer. And he has just been unable, and he's had struggles with Michigan State certainly too, but he was unable to get that one win over the arch rival. And to me, that has been a defining program issue for them. But like, you know, look, I think you'd have to look at, he's had a lot of, success there you know anyone who's like because there's some parallels to you know him being a former quarterback who's a really good player coming into the big 10 to save the program you know there's some parallels between scott frost and him but then you look the records are nothing alike right i mean he's won a ton of games i always felt like you've been especially hard on jim harbaugh um even up till like today up till like today (laughs) it's like the first time i was like okay you know it's like this is a different stew. Um, well, this was an important one for him because now, you know, they're probably going to be a 10 and two uh, team with a chance to 
Well, I don't know. I'm saying that assuming they'll lose to Ohio State. You I are saying they're assuming they'll lose. Yeah, still. yeah. What are we gonna do if if Ohio State loses to Michigan this year? We need to have some kind of audible bet for you. Well, that would require you to to sit, to, to actually pick. You can't just bet <laughs> because you want to see me. Like you have to say, I'm p- putting in writing that Michigan's beating Ohio State. So when we get to the week of the game. If you actually believe that, then yes, we will do a bet. Okay. So it has to be some kind of thing you have to do because you have, you have badgered him so much that I feel like I've turned into the Harbaugh defender. I don't yeah. I don't think I was alone in that. Um, but no, I certainly didn't see this year coming after a the direction that program had gone in the past couple on years. Your shoulder. How about that? Say that again? A tattoo of Jim Harbaugh on your shoulder if they finally win? Can I? No, that's not going to happen. But can we... Can we make a request of ESPN? Stop giving Molly McGrath, our friend Molly McGrath, the Michigan games. Harbaugh always finds a way to blow her off at the end. <laughs> he was in good spirits after the game, but all he wanted was to get out of there and have her interview the tight end. Um, this was after a few weeks ago where he just completely ran away from her. N- not fair. Let some other sideline reporter deal with that. You want Luganville out there having to put on his spot belts and, and chase him down? Exactly. Exactly. Something like that. Um we're out of time for today. Um, as always, you can send your emails to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will answer them on our Wednesday episode. We'll see you next time. 